Coming up on this edition of the Six Peas Podcast, we're delving back into the Year of Wonders, looking at the holiday homework, chapter 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. That is all coming up on the Six Peas Podcast right now. And welcome back to the Six Peas Podcast episode. I today looking to drop this in the holidays. What a time as we prepare for our last semester of high school. Today we are looking at Year of Wonders. We're looking over a bit of the holiday homework that was set from chapters four right through to chapter eight. And I thought we'd get started straight away with chapter four, which is Ratfall. This uh, chapter, just to give you a bit of a summary of what happens in this chapter. And it's right after, of course, um, George Vickers' death. And obviously her sons are affected by this, but life goes on as Anna tends to her sheep. On one occasion, as she's feeding Tom, she's joined by Michael Montpellion, who displays more knowledge of ordinary life than she would expect from a clergy, especially one who's so learned. On a neighbourly visit to the Hadfields, Anna learns that they have found many dead rats in their woodpile. Likewise, Anna has a flea infestation in her house. And as an audience, obviously that's for us a massive sign that the plague is there. Now soon, Edward Cooper is sick with fever and he dies. Alexander Hadfield and his two sons die. And Anna's son, sadly, Tom, dies as well. For the holiday homework, you were simply asked just to look at the quotes and to match them with the statements. I've just lettered the statements underneath the table, and I just thought I'd go through those now. The first quote comes on page 68, and so it goes, I thought idly, a birth and death each unlooked for. And that is for B. Death is part of nature which people have no control over. The second quote also from page 68 Sometimes I wonder why we shut ourselves up in churches. What can man make, after all, that evokes the divine as a place such as this? And this for me refers to F, that the natural world is valued as God's work. The next one. You must not think that a minister's life is lived entirely among lofty words spoken from high pulpits. H hints at Montpellier's past. The next one. Mrs. Montpellier has spoken to me of your understanding. She believes it is superior, and I see it may be so. And that comes from Michael Montpellier. And the fact that A, Anna is more intelligent than people expect. And this is something that comes up throughout the text, that being a woman, she's underestimated. The next quotation from page 73. I thought she could teach me much about how to manage alone as a woman in the world, how to embrace my state, and even exult in it as she seemed to. Page 55, that's from page 73, and that's for C, I thought, that Anna has a desire to learn and develop as a person. The next one. Mem was straight and lithe as a green cornstalk, and she moved with the vigour of a man. Relates to G, the Gaudi's knowledge has kept them healthy. The next one. It is folly and ill fortune to love a child until it walks and is well grown. Page 77, 
refers to E, the fact that many children died while still in infancy. The penultimate quote. Afra handed me a hagstone and mumbled some strange words over it. I took the hagstone from her and held it in my hand until she left the cottage. Then I flung it into the fire. It refers to I, that some people turn to old superstitions for a sense of protection. And this for me is really important because it links quite closely to the crucible, as we'll find out later on in this term. And the last one, from page 79. My neighbours were all standing there, their faces turned to me, full of grief and fear. Some had tears in their eyes, but the howling voice was mine. D. All the community of EM are affected by the plague. In terms of chapter 4, um, it's sort of a precursor to what comes next, because the next few chapters have some really important incidents that occur. Um, but it's still interesting to see Anna as a young woman learning to understand her place in the world and wanting to change that and wanting to learn from the women around her. Unfortunately, as we find out in Chapter 5, some of these women, um, while well, a very terrible fate befalls them. And that leads us to Chapter 5, Sign of a Witch. And this is a chapter for me that links really closely to the Crucible, not just simply the idea of witchcraft, but the idea of how small communities and insular communities like Eam and like Salem in the Crucible react to, um, I guess, a crisis. In this case, it's the plague. This chapter, just to give you a brief synopsis, it's called Sign of a Witch, and I guess it showcases Anna, who is overwhelmed with grief following Jamie's death. The town grapples with a mounting death toll. Mem and Anise Gowdy are targeted in a shocking display of mob violence that culminates in Annas being hanged. Order is only restored when Michael Montpellion arrives on the scene. This chapter, the homework, was really about finding quotations for these statements and then getting you to write some paragraphs on them. I'm going to start with the first one, and it's about the fact that people will seek a scapegoat to help them cope with the catastrophe or a crisis. And the quote I've used for this one comes from page 89. And it begins, You killed my family, Hag, Mem, writhed, trying to shake her head of denial. I heard you curse us for bringing the physician to Edward. I heard you as you left my door. Your malice has brought plague on my man and my mother and my boys. That's Mary Hadfield looking for someone to blame for the plague. The next one talks about unmarried women with healing knowledge are often suspected of witchcraft. And in fact, I've gone back to a previous chapter, the Ring of Roses chapter for this quotation. Um, and it comes from Anna. And she's talking about the Gaudis here. Sorry, sorry she's actually talking about... Um, yeah, Mem, Mem Gowdy. She says, I knew how easy it was for a widow to be turned witch in the common mind, and the first cause generally is that she meddles somehow in medicinals. They did it having a knowledge of herbs, uh, even though we find out in the text they're quite useful, um, especially an unmarried woman um, is seen to be quite evil and a sign of witchcraft. The next point, a group of grieving people can easily turn into a mob, and I've gone to page 88, and the quote down the very bottom, where it says, There were ten or twelve people in a rough circle, jostling and staggering, 
their loud voices slurring as if they had come straight from the minest heaven. Lib Hancock was among them, stumbling from the effects of drink, which I knew well she was not used to. In the centre, upon the ground, was Mem Gowdy, her frail old arms bound before her with a length of fraying rope. And again, that's that mob mentality, that mob violence comes out really clearly here. The next one is the fact that some individuals will come to the aid of those in need. And for this, um, I've gone with Anna. And Anna, for me, comes to the aid of Anise. She says, You throw her down there and you'll be murderers, I yelled, trying to get in front of Brad Hamilton, who seemed the most sensible man among them. But when I grabbed his arm... I saw that his face was distorted by drink and grief, and then I remembered he'd buried his son John that day. He flung me aside and I missed my footing and fell hard, my head hitting a cropped of limestone. When I tried to raise it, the earth spun and turned dark. That's Anna trying to go to the aid of the Nisqiati. The next one, the fact that many people believe the plague was brought by evil. And I've gone for page 91, the very bottom. Shut your mouth, Anna Frith. Lib Hancock yelled, throwing off my hands, and at the same time, stepping towards me, bringing her face inches from mine. For you yourself told me that this witch consorted with the devil's spawn who brought the plague here. Again, it is because Anna betrayed Anise's secret that they are privy to her connection to George Vickers. The next one, the fact that accusations of witchcraft led to further accusations. And just the quotes I've used from page 92 are what um, are thrown, I guess, the, the cries of whore and Jaden fornicator that were going towards Anise from the crowd on page 92. And then I guess the further accusations come from Anise. When on the next page, on page 93, she says, I have lain with him. Yes, I have lain with the devil and he is mighty and cold as ice to touch. And then she goes on to say later on, For I have not lain with him alone, no. I tell you now, I've seen your wives lie with him. Yours, Brad Hamilton, and yours, George Gordon, John Gordon, and yours too, Martin Hydefield. The women moaned and screamed their outrage, but their men were transfixed by Anise and did not look at them. The penultimate one, for this section is that some easily believe suspicions and accusations. The main quote we think of when we think of superstitions and a lack of logic in thinking comes on page 92, and it's hurled at Anise Gowdy. It's from Eurith Gordon. She screamed, I can't see my reflection in her eyes, sign of a witch, sign of a witch. She witched my husband into lying with her. That's a really, really good quote. And also, I guess, when it comes to superstition, we can look at page 78. And I mentioned it previously, but it's about Aphra and the hagstone, which she keeps with her. The last point here refers to religious leaders and beliefs and how they have a great power over people. A great moment here. Um, and it's I'll comment on this scene being really important in terms of religion and faith um, at the end. And it's on page 95 where it starts. And it comes from Michael Montpellion. Fall on your knees now. And they did, dropping as one to the ground. Pray to God that in his infinite mercy, he will save your miserable souls. And later on he says, Do we not have suffering enough in this village? 
Is there not death enough here for you and all that you bring the crime of murder amongst us as well? Gird yourselves and pray that God does not exact from you the price that this day's deeds deserve. And all at once the voices began, some in slurred murmurs and some crying out loudly upon the Lord, others weeping and beating their breasts. The reaction that the crowd get, the mob get from Michael Montpellion, they immediately respect what he says. But we do see a little bit of foreshadowing here, as Anna hints to us in the very last statement of this chapter. She says, at that time, you see, we all of us believed that God listened to such prayers. And that's important because Michael Montpellion's leadership of EM dates from this point. Also note that the first response to the crisis is a negative one. It's fear and panic, and the villagers look for a scapegoat and turn on each other. So that brings us to a close for chapters four and five. We're going to take our first break now. Episode I, and this podcast is getting released in Nighthawk Week, a really important week. So I've decided to play some music from Indigenous artists. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to the Six Peas podcast, and we're moving now to chapter six, which is Venom in the Blood. Just a quick overview of this chapter. Mem dies shortly after her niece. Remorse over the murders permeates the village. Michael Montpellion delivers a passionate sermon exhorting the villagers to quarantine themselves in order to contain the plague. The increasing isolation of the town is evidenced by the lack of legal redress over the Gaudi's death. Eam is already being shunned by the outside world. Nobody wants to visit the plague-afflicted village. Same as the last chapter here, we're just getting you to find quotations for these um, statements or pieces of analysis. The first one, in order to persuade people, a leader must refer to things they know and value, and this comes up with Michael Montpellion. 
The quotes I've used here are from page 101. The first one is, Greater love, and this is from Michael on the sermon on the pulpit, Greater love no man hath than this, that he laid down his life for a friend. And Anna later on says, He intoxicated us with his words, lifting and carrying us away into a strange ecstasy, taking each of us to a place where we kept our sweetest memories. A really great quote to show how a religious leader responds appropriately to a crisis, brings a community together. The next one, self-sacrifice to protect others is a true act of faith. And I've used the quote here from page 102. And it starts by saying, it is a trial for us. I'm sure of it. Because of his great love for us, he's giving us here an opportunity that he offers to very few upon this earth. He, we poor souls of this village, may emulate our blessed Lord. The idea of sacrifice. Um, a good point. Sacrifice did come up on one of the VCAR exams. The next one is the practicalities of the plan were all arranged. And this is a plan to quarantine themselves. And really, this comes up on page 104. Uh, towards the very bottom, he says, Dear friends, here we are, and here we must stay, must being on italics to emphasize that. Let the boundaries of this village become our whole world. Let none enter and none leave while this plague lasts. And he goes on to say later on everything that he put in place for the village, including how they were going to get goods in and out. The next one talks about community spirit and cohesion is particularly important in a crisis in Montpellier shows this really well and I've used the quote that I used in the previous one actually that dear friends quote how we must stay and he uses that inclusive language the next one talks about unity as well it's religious unity is needed to bring the people in the community together on page 102 there's a mention of Thomas Stanley sorry that's page 100 there's a mention of Thomas Stanley who was a Puritan man coming back and later on on page 106 there's a quotation about um, Mr. Stanley, and it says, It was only then that I noticed that Thomas Stanley had entered the church and taken a place in the very last pew. Now he came forward, speaking softly to all those who had been, or secretly still were, of a pres precision learning, and who perhaps had difficulty in trusting Mr. Montpellion, someone who is precise, someone who is Puritan. Bit of a callback to uh, Measure for Measure by William Shakespeare. And that last part. Quietly, the old man was making clear his full support of the younger. The idea that Thomas Stanley supported Michael Montpellion. Even the Puritans in the village had to support him. The next one is the fact that some people are suspicious of other people's motives. And this, for me, is all about the Bradfords. On page 104, Anna notices, quote, My concentration broke as the Bradfords shifted in the foremost pew. And later on, on page 107, the very last quotation. All of us in the church that day gave their oath to God that we would stay and not flee whatever might befall us. All of us, that is, except the Bradfords. They had slipped out of the church unnoticed and were already at the hall packing for their flight to Oxfordshire. And the last part here talks about Anna, how she's closer to the Montpellions than a servant normally is. And that comes up a little bit before that. And you, Anna, he said, the intensity of his gaze was such that I had to look away from him. Tell us you will stay with us, for without you, 
Mrs. Montpellier and I would be ill-set. Indeed, I do not know what we would do without you. Putting their faith in Anna. That's chapter 6, Venom in the Blood. And we'll now move to chapter 7, which is Wide Green Prison. This chapter um, is another really important one, I guess, because it sort of focuses on village life after being or after quarantining themselves. Despite Montpellier's pleas, the Bradfords quit the hall, refusing to take their servants. And obviously, that's really important because the Bradfords, you know, provided a lot of the members of the community with work. The villagers look to Montpellier for leadership, at Eleanor's insistence, and they delivers Mary Daniel's baby. A really important scene that just again highlights Anna's growth as an individual. The first part of this is asked you to comment on why the quotes from page 117 are significant. The first one is, and so the rest of us set about learning to live in the wide green prison of our own election. And later on it says, and so the consequences of our oath began to come clear to us. And I guess this idea that, you know, although the villagers of EM have given their consent to living in quarantine, they still feel as if they are in a prison because they have to master this new way of life. It's a massive change for them, a massive shift for them. They really are isolated. In fact, they've isolated themselves off from the community. We then have a couple of questions from the section between page 119 and page 125. The first one asked us, in what ways has Anna begun to change? What enables and empowers her to make change? For me, it's the women around her. Um, initially, it was Anise and Mem. Um, and then it was Eleanor. And, um, you know, I think that's really important in this section because here we see her giving birth. She uses not only Eleanor's encouragement, but she uses the word of the Gaudi, the words of the Gaudis, and Anis's chant on page 122. I muttered Anis's chant, even though I didn't un- understand it. Eleanor shot me a strange look, but I ignored it. Maybe pleasing to my grandmothers, the ancient ones, so might it be. It is the women around her that inspire her, that enable her to change. I think Eleanor gives her the encouragement and confidence to do so as well, and the trust too. The trust is really important between those two. The next section, in Anna's experiences, what are some of the horrors and dangers of childbirth? And this comes up really clearly on page 120 when she talks about the Thatcher's hook and talks about what happened to her own mother who died um, while giving birth. The last one, what do you think Anna intends to do with the file of Poppy and why? And for this, I think it comes down to really that last part of this chapter the very last paragraph when she returns home after laughing and sharing the joy of childbirth she says but even in the midst of that joy i knew that i would have to leave the babe nursing at his mother's breast and return to my own cottage silent and empty where the only sound that would greet me would be the phantom echoes of my boy's infant cries and so we took our leave of the daniels i found the file of poppy in mrs montpellion's whisket I closed my hand upon it, stealthily as a practice thief, and plunged it deep into the sleeve of my dress. This just shows Anna's fear, her fear of returning home to a deserted house. That's why she pockets the poppies that Eleanor brought as part of the um, childbirth kit. And finally, 
Chapter 8, So Soon to be Dust. In this chapter, Maggie Cantwell and Brand are forced back to the village by a frightened and angry crowd in Bakewell. Anna offers to care for Maggie, who has suffered a seizure. Anna has a confrontation with her father, but shortly after, Maggie dies. Now, the violence shown towards Maggie and Brand is further evidence of the way in which fear and panic can destroy goodwill. The first question here sort of asks you to find quotes to describe Anna and Joss's relationship. Um, there's a lot of quotes that you could use for this. It's obviously a um, very difficult relationship for Anna. She goes to the tavern to find her father. And the quote I've got on page 133 comes from Anna. And she says, My father is a roguing fat knave, even sober. With drink in him, he becomes dangerous. I could see we were approaching that stage as his colour rose and his mouth turned from grin to snarl. And later on, he sort of attacks Anna for the way she sort of um, worked for Montpellier and her religious beliefs. Um, the next question asks you to just describe the scold's bridle. What was it and what was it used for? Um, the idea that Joss says, someone fetch me a branks to muzzle this scold. And Anna reflects on a time. Um, she says that she saw her mother's face framed in the iron bars, the desperate look in her wild eyes. She describes for us a time when her mother was put in this scold's bridle where she was unable to speak. I guess that talks a lot about the patriarchal society and the lack of power that women have. And the last one, page 135. Find quotes that show Anna is beginning to question God. And the main one comes up, as I said, on page 135. Why, I wondered, was God so much more prodigal with his creation? Why did he raise us up out of the clay to acquire good and expedient skills, then send us back so soon to be dust, the name of the chapter, when we yet had useful years before us? And why should this good woman lie here in such extremity when a man like my father lived to waste his reason in drunkenness? The comparison between Maggie Cantwell and Joss. That brings chapter 8 to a close. We'll go to one more song. We'll wrap up the Six Piece Podcast episode I right after this. That brings to an end episode I of the Six Peas Podcast. Don't forget, if you want to get in touch, please send me an email at sixpeaspodcast at gmail.com. That's sixpspodcast at gmail.com. We'll be back next time looking at Year of Wonders again, chapters 9 through to 14. Until then, don't forget that proper prior preparation prevents poor performance.
Are we finished? Done.